I had a very interesting week and uh, for me, and I'm going to share it with you. But don't judge me, <laughs> and don't presume to, where, to know where I stand on any of the things I'm going to bring up, please, because I guarantee you probably won't get it. Well, you might. There's only so many stances. But, um, and also, I'm going to talk about a number of things, and you might think it's political, and it's not. What I'm trying to share is my experience, and there's a reason that's beyond the political and, the, and all the rest, and it's not about that particularly, and I'll get there. So just trust me. All right. So I decided to sort of break my embargo this week of watching the news. Now, I do keep up to date. Of course I do. I just don't tend to consume the media, particularly, you know, TV media, um, because I, I get so frustrated by the, the manipulation. So it started out the week. This is just my experience, and, and this is how I re responded to it. I think some of you might share some of this response. Just remember that I was a guy who argued with all my philosophy teachers in seminary, questioned everything. So that's what I tend to do. So I'm watching the news, and I'm watching the former president drive in to be indicted and arrested for not cooperating and giving back documents, right? I'm like, well, that's interesting. He was the president. Then I continue to watch, and then, then I find more evidence. Now, I didn't tell you this early on in the whole pandemic thing, but I, was, I found all kinds of underground video and different things that I was watching right out of China. And uh, it was pretty clear. There's a lot of evidence early, early on that, you know, the whole COVID thing was a lab leak, basically. And it's now almost conclusively been proven true that that was the case. There's a lot of evidence, lots of evidence. And, uh, but even more disturbing is there is absolute evidence that the WHO covered it up, the possibility, that members of our government covered it up, the possibility, and it was shut down. Even Mark Zuckerberg gave an interview this week. Again, this is just all the stuff I saw this week where he said, we shut down that information and cooperated with the government to do so even though we knew that some of it was potentially true. I'm like, okay, so you can imagine how this week's going. I'm looking at my Shih Tzu, and I'm like, Ella, what do we do? She's like, I don't know, I just want another treat. And um, so I'm watching it, watching it, and then apparently aliens landed in Las Vegas. <laughs> I'm like, so, so I'm watching that. I'm sending it to Chris and Wade. I'm like, look at this. Can you see him? Can you see the alien? I'm like, I don't know if I can see him. I don't know if it's true. You know, one of my favorite comments, YouTube, one of my favorite comments was, if you want aliens to leave you alone, carry a really expensive camera. Because you'll, they apparently are allergic to good camera angles. You'll never see a good shot of an alien. But then there's whistleblowers on that, high security clearance, saying, no, we have these programs that exist. I'm like, really? Okay, that's interesting. And then the government says, no, we don't. Well, okay, well, who do I believe, right? So there's all this political stuff. There's all the, the stuff with the pandemic. There's, all the, there's so much stuff that's there. And so my experience to all of that is, number one, I question everything, everything. It doesn't matter what side it is, I question everything. And uh, secondly, of course, because of just the way that I think, I'm immediately I'm, I'm in this position of saying, we have a serious epistemology problem. 
And you're like, of course you thought of a big word. Yeah, once again, you gotta use your word. Episteme means knowledge, study of knowledge. We have a crisis of knowledge and truth. So this is what I'm left with at the end of the week. There's even more stuff, you know, that I can think of. I mean, the government telling us that, you know, our kids are actually their kids and, you know, they can enforce, they can enforce all kinds of hormonal treatment on your children who are underage and even mutilate children as though that's a good thing. It's, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And so at the end of the week, I'm kind of in a position that I've been in before, but basically, where do I find truth? Where do I find truth? Because I can, I can consume certain media here, here, and there, and it will contradict each other completely, and there will be arguments on both sides or just straight-out denials. How do I know what's true? How do we really know what's true? It's a, it's a serious problem, and I, I, I'm sure that I'm not the only one who questions that and just kind of wonders. And then, the more that we see what's happening, we, I think we can recognize, if we really think about it, that those in power want to keep us at each other's throats. This is intentional. Because if you can keep 95% of the population, either the left or the right, then to stay in power, all you gotta do is win the majority of that 5%. All you gotta do is fight over about 3% of the population. And then both parties stay in power and they get to fight with each other. And you might say, no, no, the Republicans are right, or the, the Democrats, it doesn't matter. That's not my point. It's not about that. It's about the culture we live in. It's about what's happening in our country and in our world. It's about what I've talked about many times before, which is a decline of Christian civilization and, and moving further and further into postmodernism, which is a post-truth society where information is not about truth, it's about coercion and power. And I think we all feel it if we really analyze it and if we're really honest. And so what do, so as, as your pastor, then I'm like, well, what do I do? What do I do with this? I mean, I, I can deal with it in my own self, but as a community, how do we approach this? And then I thought about the gospel today. So Jesus looks out at the multitude and his heart is moved with pity because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is an interesting observation he makes because they had shepherds. There were Pharisees, chief priests, scribes. There are plenty of people in authority, but it was as though they didn't really have good shepherds. They weren't shepherding rightly, right? And, and particularly at the time, the, 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 the religious authorities were leveraging their authority to control the people, to, uh, to be rigorous with the people. And Jesus comes into that, and he doesn't take that path. Instead, he takes the path of just being with the people, of accepting the people where they're at, of just trying to, to grow with the people and bring them to faith. And it's that, of course, example that animates much of my pastoral direction. But look into what he did. What did he do? He wasn't primarily first concerned with just leveraging information and sort of, if you will, the assertion of truth. He asserted truth. But his modus operandi was not to assert the truth as a weapon 
and then try to get people to conform. And this is what you'll see happen anytime cultures start to decline and lose their sort of their, their moorings or their, their principles, which is what we're seeing now, right? We're seeing this post-Christian society and people are all trying to kind of scramble for identity. And so what happens is that people are trying to find objectivity and more black and white because they, they need something to, to hold on to. And what I see in the church happening, and I think, I think you might have seen this as well, is there's a lot of priests who are, who are feeling that loss of stability and then they're trying to get it back by what I call romanticism about old stuff. Latin and, and chant and incense and all this old stuff because the old stuff will keep us Catholic. Because back in the 50s, everything was perfect. I'm sure you can attest to that, how great it was. Everybody went to church in the 50s. Well, it was, number one, no, they didn't. But number two, it was a different society. We can't apply old solutions and methodologies to new problems, I would assert. So we live in this culture then where it's difficult to know who the true shepherd is, who we should listen to, where the stability should be found. And what can happen then is people are driven to find stability from exterior sources. And I think we're seeing that play out in the church. However, True stability and freedom can never be gleaned from external sources. It never happens that way. It doesn't last. True freedom and stability can only be something that is interior, that comes from within, that comes from the self, and obviously from the operation of grace, God's grace. And so when we look to anything else other than God and ourselves for stability, for validation, for truth, we're going to be in trouble, particularly now, given the climate of the culture. Okay, it's my assertion that it's really, really difficult to trust those in authority. And you might say, well, Father, aren't you an authority figure? Good point. I agree with you, and I acknowledge that. I recognize it. I recognize that any... uh, Any authority I have, I think, should be earned and not just merely given. I think it should be earned over time, and it can be lost, but it should be earned. Trust should be earned. What it really, really what we are confronted with then is an inability to trust because we've been, gosh, we've been let down so many times by priests, by bishops, by popes, by politicians, by scientists, everybody. That's part of the reason we're in the situation we're in. We're placing or seeking to place our trust in all the wrong things. There's only one place to place our trust, and that's in Jesus Christ. There's only one person that we know for sure will never fail us and who will never lead us astray, and that is Jesus Christ. And so as I've uh, continued to, to lead our community, I've tried to lead us in such a fashion that, yes, all are welcome. But that's not enough, you know, because all are welcome at Safeway, right? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you can come in, you know. But there should be something more than that, right? I mean, we're here to worship. We are here to seek the truth that is beyond us. And there's this innate desire 
within, I believe, within the human person that always reaches out to something beyond himself or herself. There's this desire for what we call the transcendent, this desire, this natural desire for God. And that part of what we try to do here is elicit that desire, to, to foster that desire, to give more fuel to that desire, and to orient us on the right path, which is not to me, but is to Jesus Christ. And yes, it's true that we have, you know, we have this great music program, you know, we have this wonderful community. We have donuts. You have an amazing preacher. <laughs> I got to throw something gratuitous in there. But we have a wonderful community. And so what I think we should continue to do, and I think we're, we're doing a really good job of it, is I think that we should continue to create this sort of oasis that is not separate from the culture, but it's an oasis that is part of the culture where people can feel free to come, to be truly welcome, to understand that they can come to church here and they can question things. It does not scandalize me that you disagree with some church teachings, or many. It doesn't scandalize me. It doesn't threaten me. You know, you can talk to me about it. You might get, you're going to get a response. You're going to get a defense, not an anger but you'll get a discussion. Or maybe you're a huge lefty and you think I'm too far right, you know, and you, and, and you, got, a, you got a particular, it doesn't threaten me either. Or you think I'm too far left. I don't know, it doesn't matter what I am. To create a culture where we're not gonna be like that, but we're gonna be a culture where people can truly seek the truth and feel welcome to seek the truth, to ask questions, to be a little different, to think a little differently and to be challenged and ultimately to be challenged or to be encouraged to know Jesus Christ and to grow in faith with him. You know, we're not, we're not junior high kids, most of us, some of you are, but we shouldn't act like we're in junior high where we have this inability to talk to each other. I still remember a culture, some of you ancient people certainly remember this. I'm going to get in trouble for that. I remember a time when you could actually talk to people about even, even politics, and it didn't break up families. It didn't cause riots, right? It didn't, you know, end friendships, that people could just, you know, talk and just be adults. And it, it wasn't hate speech to say you disagreed with a policy, or it wasn't bigotry because you weren't sure about something. It was just people seeking truth good-naturedly and maturely. And I believe we've really lost that in our culture, but we can have it here. We can have it here. Why can't we? Why can't we be this wonderfully, truly welcoming and truly tolerant, not politically tolerant, but tolerant in its, in its proper sense, which is respecting each individual and each individual's sincerely held views. I love to see after Mass, I see, you know, after the 8.30, there's all kinds of people just talking about stuff and, and, and enjoying that company and being mature with each other. Why can't we do that? And here's why I'm not insecure about any question you might have. Because the truth always wins. In the end, people will all come to the truth. It's going to happen. I just believe it. 
And one of the worst things we can do as a society and as a church is stop pursuing that and stop asking questions. The best way to control a society is to get them to stop asking. The best way to promote freedom is to continue to push people to ask questions and not be afraid. I remember um, when I was a kid going shopping with my mom and uh, it was probably Kmart back in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I think it was probably Kmart, Piggly Wiggly, something like that, one of those. And I remember you go into the store and I want to go look at the toys, I want to go look at the toys, I want to go look at the toys, I want to look at the toys. All right, fine, go look at the toys. You go and look at the toys. You'd be looking for a while. And then all of a sudden I became conscious of time having passed. And it had been a while since I had seen my mother. And then terror started to settle in. And then I started crying, you know, which was embarrassing because I was 15. (laughs) I'd start crying and, you know, it was just terrible. I don't know where my sister went. She abandoned me too, probably. And uh, then all of a sudden, mom would appear, you know, and, uh, you know, just this sense of peace and security and, like, comfort, like, she found me. I'm found. If there's anything I hope we are, it's that. Because when we have the experience of being found by Jesus Christ, all of that other stuff, no matter what we think about it, it just doesn't matter as much. That that feeling of being found is something we will never let go of. And it is my sincere hope and desire that you feel that way here, that you know you are found, that you are known, and you are loved by Jesus Christ. Please stand.